A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm who are bringing you this podcast. Coming to you almost live from our studios in New York, this is Tom Reads Your Story. Join voice actor Tom Zania as he reads from social media, articles, and other spoken word projects. And now, here's your host, voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Zania. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. We'll have your words from social media and so much more right after this. Miles Junction, Rust Belt, USA, where hope is scarce and hardship is a way of life. It's but one of many northeastern Ohio towns, long forgotten and left behind, its residents living on the cusp of financial, emotional, even spiritual destitution. Their lives and others are linked by a ruined yet starkly beautiful post-industrial landscape, a desolate vestige of our fractured American dream. In just the right light, is a glimpse at one region's bleak inheritance and the precarious lives of those who remain. Written by William R. Solden and narrated by Tom Zania. Listen to this incredible book by visiting audible.com. And we are back today we have four very good, I think, and I think you will think as well, postings from Facebook. And I'm going to tell you what they are in the order in which they appear, <laughs> as they say in the show business life. Uh, the first one is by Buck. It's called um, The Watergate Barge, music from The Watergate Barge. Apparently, Buck, in his more youthful days, attended concerts there uh, in Washington, D.C. There was an orchestra that would perform on a barge. People would watch the river where they were. And it was a very nice evening and some things happened. But I think you'll enjoy this one. The next up after that, uh, it's a piece called Cancel Culture from Stephen, and he is talking about, you guessed it, cancel culture. <laughs> it's about it's about how things, especially I think in the past year, or maybe even less, have become very watched and very legislated by some unknown body and how we have to be so careful nowadays. And I think you'll like that one. The next one after that is by Buck. It's called Getting the Shot. Uh, The vaccination that many of us are taking uh, taking the time to get, and that's a good thing. You should be doing it. I did it this past uh, few days ago, or excuse me, yesterday. And... um, it was no big deal. I was in and out of there, and you should do the same. We all should be very careful with this 
this horrible pandemic that simply will not go away. And there are ways that we can make it go away. And you need to get out there, make that appointment if you haven't yet, and get that shot. After that, we have something very near and dear to my heart, and that is a message about the problems that we actors and other people who work in the industry are facing. And that could be coming up very, very soon. And that is the theaters that are not going to be very well funded. Um, And I'm talking in particular about this particular Facebook post. It's called The Little Theater on the Square. Now, The Little Theater on the Square is a theater that I had the opportunity to work at in 2007. I did a show, uh, an adaptation of uh, A Christmas Carol. It was very good. It was by Michel Legrand. The songs were by Michel Legrand and uh, was a very good production. It's a theater in Southern Indiana. And a lot of people told me before I, I began the job, they said, oh yeah, it's in the middle of a cornfield. And I kind of laughed and said, yeah, right. And I got there and guess what? It was in the middle of a cornfield. So nice little place. It's in the, 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 uh, the, I guess they could say the town square or nearby or something like that, but it's still, the whole city is in the middle of a cornfield and, uh, you uh, you really need to get out there if you're in their neighborhood. But it's this posting is about how tough things are looking right now. I mean, we're looking ahead. Obviously, this isn't over. But we're looking ahead to what things are going to be like for actors and other theater people, employees. What it's going to be like. What's going to happen. Are we going to be... And it's... It's a tough one. It's very near and dear to all of our hearts, and I think you'll like that one. Now, from our wonderful whatever's department, I I guess I got into sort of a children's uh, routine there here. I ran um, maybe, I don't know, four or five months ago, something about Shel Silverstein, someone who I learned about uh, years ago and uh, heard his wonderful poems. He comes from that that area of Dr. Seuss, but not quite. Uh, it's a little different, and I think you'll like that. It's, it's his poems that, um, that I will be playing for you. And also a thing called The Sea Lion's Friend, a promo that I ran a while back. I was the narrator of a video promo for a new book from Shankman, and O'Neill. Shankman and O'Neill children's books, some of the finest children's books out there today. And uh, I think you need to to listen to that. Um, so that's the show today. And uh, why don't we just start things out with the Watergate Barge. Music from the Watergate Barge by Buck. 26 years before Watergate upended Nixon, 
it very nearly upended me. Mine, however, wasn't the condo complex that scuttled his ship. Mine was Washington's historic Watergate, the area by the Lincoln Memorial where the steps rise from the Potomac and served for many years as seating for concerts performed by the National Symphony aboard the Great Watergate Barge. Until the summer of 1948, when I graduated from Central High School, my taste in music rarely moved beyond the works of Charles Wesley, John Philip Sousa, and Smiley Sutter, the world's champion yodeler. Though the family did enjoy the broadcasts of Phil Spitalny and his all-girl orchestra on the old Philco, if I heard any classical music, it was only by accident. Then, that summer, the girl with whom I was hopelessly in love suggested that we do something really daring. The National Symphony had announced a Viennese night at the barge, and maybe it would be fun to go. Spending two hours sitting on those stone steps wasn't all that alluring, but Jean Aglay Loring Young could have suggested skydiving, and I'd have headed for the airport. Viennese night had a nice ring to it, and a thought popped into my head that was decidedly more romantic than practical. I'd heard that a lot of people listened to the concerts from their boats, some actually tied to the barge. So Mr. Big Shot suggested that he and the delightful Miss Young rent a canoe and do the same. I'd spent a large part of my boyhood on the far southern end of that very river, tooling around in my grandfather's 16-foot flat-bottomed rowboat. I had not, however, been in a canoe in my life. But how hard could that be? Well, as it turned out, not so hard. Once we've gotten in and seated without capsizing, it was pretty cool. Very cool, in fact, as I paddled us safely downriver in the light of early evening to the barge. I did find that canoes are not that great for snuggling, but we both enjoyed the music. Then the concert was over, and I suddenly became aware of a few matters I hadn't anticipated. One. Now it was dark. Two, now I had to paddle us back upriver to the place where I'd rented the canoe. Three, at night, on a river as busy and big as the Potomac, everything on shore looks like everything else on shore. Four, I couldn't paddle fast enough or straight enough to follow the other canoers back. And five, the Potomac is a tidal river, and I was paddling upriver against both the current and the outgoing tide. More details than that, you needn't know. Jean Aglay Loring Young married a professional baseball player. I never set foot in a canoe again. But my playlist now consists of Wesley, Sousa, Sutter, and all of the composers I heard that warm July night at the Watergate Barge. Cancel Culture by Stephen I've been thinking a lot lately about so-called cancel culture. I think of it more as consequence culture or accountability culture, and it certainly isn't a brand new thing. Although, the Internet and media might cause one to think it is. Sometimes the actions of an individual or a company and or public opinion 
justify the consequences and merit the accountability. Sometimes they don't and might be the result of overreaction or mob mentality. But no matter what side of the spectrum you're on, things like public opinion, the financial bottom line of companies, moral outrage, changing norms, or what have you, have resulted for years in the sorts of things that are now being decried as cancel culture. And yet, in many cases, so-called canceling hasn't affected many of the recipients of the canceling long-term, even if they are affected short-term. I think of how Ellen DeGeneres' career tanked in the late 90s because of backlash over her coming out as gay or of people trying to ban the Harry Potter books still, because they were concerned that they might promote witchcraft, or because J.K. Rowling has made comments that come off as transphobic, or when Natalie Maines, the lead singer of the Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks, made a negative statement about then-President George W. Bush. Radio stations stopped playing their songs, former fans burned their CDs and concert tickets, and sales of their music plummeted. And yet, DeGeneres has had a very popular talk show for years. Rowling is still one of the most popular and wealthy authors out there. With a global brand to boot, the Chicks are still performing and making music. So none of them were canceled. Then there are others like Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby whose careers are over. And it is unfathomable that they would ever be able to come back from that. And yet, I can still listen to Bill Cosby's comedy, watch an episode of The Cosby Show, or watch one of the many movies produced by Weinstein's company, so even they are not canceled. And companies might fire someone or rebrand or remove a product if they don't feel it's good for their image or their bottom line. Hence, Disney has the right to fire Gina Carano from The Mandalorian if they feel statements she has made don't fit with their brand. The Dr. Seuss estate has the right to stop publishing six books they own the rights to if they deem content in those books to be objectionable. Hasbro can rename its brand Potato Head. Quaker Oats can rename Aunt Jemima to the Pearl Milling Company if they see fit. And Disney can decide to never re-release the movie Song of the South again. And we as consumers can decide if we still want to buy those brands or not. We can decide whether we want to support a person or a business based on whether we agree with the values or agendas of that individual or company. If Kathy Griffin holds up a bloody severed Donald Trump head, if Louis C.K. shows a pattern of sexual harassment, if Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby donate to groups that fight against gay rights, if Target allows transgender customers to use the bathroom of their choice, if Colin Kaepernick chooses to take a knee to protest the way blacks are being treated in this company, if Josh Hawley wants to object to electoral results, etc., 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 then companies and individuals can respond accordingly to those actions. CNN can fire Kathy Griffin from co-hosting the New Year's Eve special with Anderson Cooper. A movie distributor can decide not to release Louis C.K.'s movie. Gay people can choose to boycott Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. Conservative people can choose to boycott Target. 
The NFL can decide to cut ties with Kaepernick, or fans can love or hate him, and Simon & Schuster can choose to cancel Hawley's book deal. But no one is canceled. Kaepernick still continues his activism. C.K. and Griffin still work, although perhaps not as much. Hawley is still a senator with an active voice and platform, and Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, and Target are still in business. Actions have consequences. If you're being racist and it shows up on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, you just might have to answer for that. If you have a controversial opinion and it gets put out into the public sphere, you just may have to answer for that. And sometimes the consequences may be more severe than the action merits. Other times they will be justly deserved, and sometimes they won't be severe enough. Such are the whims of a reactionary public. I am sometimes disturbed by a phrase I have seen often on social media. Let's ruin this person's life. This often occurs in response to someone doing something objectionable or despicable. I wonder if there is a way to shift the narrative to, is there any way to help this person learn what they are doing is wrong and has consequences? Because some people can learn from their actions. Others seem unable or unwilling to. And the other thing is, norms and standards change. What was deemed acceptable and was even embraced once may no longer be deemed acceptable now. I was reading the attached article this morning and thinking about how much I love classic movies. And yes, there are even some I like that contain things that weren't cool then and aren't cool now. But this quote impacted me. We know millions of people love these films, said TCM host Jacqueline Stewart, who is participating in many of the conversations. We're not saying this is how you should feel about Psycho or this is how you should feel about Gone with the Wind. We're just trying to model ways of having longer and deeper conversations and not just cutting it off to, I love this movie, I hate this movie. There's so much space in between. I grew up in a family of people who loved classic films. Now, how can you love these films if you know that there's going to be a maid or mammy that shows up, Stewart said. Well, I grew up around people who could still love the movie. You appreciate some parts of it. You critique other parts of it. That's something that one can do, and it actually can enrich your experience of the film. The thing is, I think it's possible to examine the past and hold it up to an ever-evolving society and say, this isn't okay. This isn't who we should be. This isn't what we should represent. And maybe we fear the loss of something nostalgic. We don't want to let go of things, even if the time has come to let them go. Maybe that image in the Dr. Seuss book really is racist. Maybe that flag or statue or product we thought we revered really doesn't reflect on our history in a positive light. Maybe the idols and historical figures we thought we knew and celebrated have some enormous flaws and baggage it would be remiss of us not to address. Maybe the things we value and champion need closer examination, and I include myself in that too. Whatever choices we make in life, any of us, whatever stands we take, 
they will have consequences, justified or not. And if public opinion holds us accountable for those actions, we better be prepared. Let's hope the end result makes us a better, more progressive, and more civilized society rather than a bloodthirsty and vindictive mob. Getting the Shot by Buck You might want to be seated and have some oxygen or chloroform handy, because this isn't something you might expect from me. I think it's appropriate to give credit to the former president for whatever role he played in getting Big Pharma rolling on vaccine development. Though his reaction to the pandemic in every other way possibly blew it big time. I'll give him that. And though he admitted to Bob Woodward that it was big danger, while publicly calling it a hoax, getting it himself was obviously enough to convince him that getting the shot was the grown-up thing to do. So what kind of wackadoodle lunacy is it that more than half of his supporters are not only choosing not to get vaccinated, but are campaigning against it, risking their lives and everybody else's, as a political statement is right up there with thinking the big loser is still president. The Little Theater on the Square by John a year ago today, we closed the little theater on the square. We thought, for maybe two weeks, we would be shut down. Little did we know that a summer season would come and go without any actors, technicians, or most importantly, an audience. Work has been done on company housing, cleaning up the theater, updating our sound system, and writing many grants. We learned how to create and edit videos, including a full Christmas show. We pushed back our season a few times, and we still sit and wait. We wait for the word from our state government on more than 50 people at a time in our theater and from Actors' Equity Union to allow us to reopen. The one thing that has pushed me through, daily calls and emails from friends, actors, designers, and patrons, just calling to tell me they are thinking about us and pulling for us and can't wait for us to open. Thank you to all of those people pulling for us and to the many of you who continue to support the little theater on the square. We will reopen, and the music and dance and fun will be back. When? We aren't quite sure, but hope to answer that very soon. I miss you all and wish you all a safe and happy return as well. And that music is, of course, the cue to begin our wonderful whatever's department uh, section of the podcast. <laughs> Today, like I said, we have some poetry by Shel Silverstein that I ran several months ago a big several, and uh, also 
the wonderful promo that I did. This was the very first promo I'd ever done for a product, and it's called The Sea Lion's Friend. And, of course, I played that for family and friends, and they they really liked it. And I consider you a friend as well, so I think you'll really like it, too. Here it is. Invitation from Where the Sidewalk Ends Invitation If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer, if you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Runny's Heading Rabbits from Runny Rabbit Runny's Heading Rabbits Runny lent to the library, and there were hundreds of hooks. Bistery hooks, biography gooks, and lots of boris dukes. He looked them over one by one, and guess which one he took. A bient skook? A boetry pook? Oh, no. A bomic cook. Homework machine. From A Light in the Attic. Homework machine. The homework machine. Oh, the homework machine. Most perfect contraption that's ever been seen. Just put in your homework, then drop in a dime. Snap on the switch, and in ten seconds' time, your homework comes out, quick and clean as can be. Here it is. Nine plus four? And the answer is three. Three? Oh, me. I guess it's not as perfect as I thought it would be. For sale, from where the sidewalk ends. One sister for sale. One sister for sale. One crying and spying young sister for sale. I'm really not kidding. So who'll start the bidding? Gardener, from Falling Up, Special Edition. Gardener, we gave you a chance to water the plants. We didn't mean that way. Now zip up your pants. Falling Up, from Falling Up. Falling Up, I tripped on my shoelace, and I fell up. Up to the rooftops, up over the town, up past the treetops, up over the mountains, up where the colors blend into the sounds. But it got me so dizzy when I looked around. I got sick to my stomach, and I threw down. The Wild Chirote from Don't Bump the Glump The Wild Chirote I'd like a coat of wild chirote. It's warm and fleecy as can be. But note, what if the wild chirote would like a coat of me? Put something in from A Light in the Attic. Put something in. Draw a crazy picture. Write a nutty poem. Sing a mumble-gumble song. Whistle through your comb. Do a loony goony dance, cross the kitchen floor. Put something silly in the world. 
that ain't been there before. Snowball From Falling Up Snowball I made myself a snowball, as perfect as could be. I thought I'd keep it as a pet and let it sleep with me. I made it some pajamas and a pillow for its head. Then last night it ran away, but first it wet the bed. Flag From Where the Sidewalk Ends Flag One star is for Alaska. One star is for Nebraska. One star is North Dakota. One star is Minnesota. There are lots of other stars, but I forget which ones they are. Frozen Dream From A Light in the Attic Frozen Dream I'll take the dream I had last night and put it in my freezer. So some day long and far away, when I'm an old gray geezer, I'll take it out and thaw it out. This lovely dream I've frozen and boil it up and sit me down and dip my old cold toes in. Superstar from Everything On It Superstar I'm the greatest newest superstar and soon you'll cheer my name. I'm smart and slick and strong and quick an expert at the game. But before we start, one question please. I hesitate to ask it, but where's the basket? Pancake, from Where the Sidewalk Ends. Pancake? Who wants a pancake, sweet and piping hot? Good little Grace looks up and says, I'll take the one on the top. Who else wants a pancake, fresh off the griddle? Terrible Teresa smiles and says, I'll take the one in the middle. Monsters I've Met from A Light in the Attic Monsters I've Met I met a ghost, but he didn't want my head. He only wanted to know the way to Denver. I met a devil, but he didn't want my soul. He only wanted to borrow my bike a while. I met a vampire, but he didn't want my blood. He only wanted two nickels for a dime. I keep meeting all the right people at all the wrong times. The Voice From Falling Up No teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise man can decide. What's right for you, just listen to the voice that speaks inside. The Bible From Don't Bump the Glump The Bible's habits are rather crude, he shuns all ordinary food and rather enjoys girls and boys. Noise Day from Falling Up Let's have one day for girls and boyses when you can make the grandest noises screech, scream, holler and yell buzz a buzzer, clang a bell sneeze, hiccup, whistle, shout laugh until your lungs wear out. School, from everything on it. School, rain and hail, cold and snow, are good excuses not to go. Eighteen Flavors, from where the sidewalk ends. Eighteen flavors, eighteen luscious, scrumptious flavors, chocolate, lime, and cherry, 
coffee, pumpkin, fudge, banana, caramel, cream, and boysenberry, rocky road and toasted almond, butterscotch, vanilla dip, butterbrickle, apple ripple, coconut and mocha chip, brandy, peach, and lemon custard, each scoop lovely, smooth, and round, tallest ice cream cone in town, lying there on the ground. Superstitious from a light in the attic. If you are superstitious, you'll never step on cracks. When you see a ladder, you will never walk beneath it. And if you ever spill some salt, you'll throw some cross your back and carry around a rabbit's foot in case you need it. A sea lion passes his days in the waves, and he lies on the rocks, and he sleeps in the caves. And so if he longs for a friend by the sea, well then, these are the places the friend has to be. But who else finds joy in the surf and the sun? Who else thinks that lying on wet rocks is fun? The real question is, after all, in the end, who wants to be a sea lion's friend? And that's what the sea lion wondered one day. He wondered when friendship would wander his way. Could a friend just appear right out of thin air? If the sea lion blinked, would a new friend be there? Did he think if he wished for a friend to come by, that the friend who he wished for would fall from the sky? Was it only pretend to believe in the end that the wishes he wished could turn into a friend? But then just as he wondered if wishes come true, as he questioned exactly what wishes can do, as he tried to believe that a friend could appear, a seagull flew down and he landed right here. Yes, he dropped from the skies like a total surprise and was staring the sea lion right in the eyes. It was seagull and sea lion there, face to face, head to head, toe to toe, in the very same place. And though one was more fin and the other more feather, they both knew somehow they'd be perfect together. Sure, one had a snout and the other a beak, and the one liked to bark while the other would squeak, though I think some would say it was more of a shriek. But who cares what the sound is as long as you speak? Who cared if one flew while the other was grounded, or if one was thin while the other was rounded, or if one was tall and the other was small. Being different, you see, made no difference at all. The ways they were different were easy to name, but in time they would find they were much more the same. It was friendship, you see, that made other things fun, like a dive through the waves or a flop in the sun. And then long after all of the games were begun, it was friendship that made it okay to be done. Join a lovable sea lion and a friendly seagull as they overcome their differences to become fast friends. The Sea Lion's Friend, like all Shankman and O'Neill books, is available online and where books are sold. Want more? Check out shankmanoneal.com for books, fun, lesson plans, and news. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode 
of Tom Reads Your Story. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please tell your friends, because we're always looking for new ones. Be sure to email me at TomReadYourStory at Yahoo.com if you have questions or comments about the show. As always, thanks, Anchor.fm, for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Till next time, stay safe, everyone. Bye now. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.